Games Internet. I'm John Bailey, and welcome to episode 8 of Popcorn Junkie, the weekly movie review and discussion podcast. On this week's episode, I'll be reviewing the Ratchet and Clank movie, the latest of Gary Marshall's holiday rom-coms Mother's Day, and the Keen Peel action comedy movie Keanu. Let's get started. Ratchet and Clank. It is curious that the sudden cessation of velocity did not cause either of you to... Oh, dear. Don't worry, cadet. It happens to the best of... Oh, that was terrible. Make it stop! I have to admit, I've never actually played the Ratchet & Clank games. I remember them, but when they were coming out, I was on Xbox and Xbox 360, so I didn't have the technology to play the games. I kind of knew what they were about. I knew they had to do about building weird little guns, and it was kind of this... It was part of Sony's weird little mascot uh, line that they had, where they had, like, Spyro, Crash Bandicoot, Jack and Daxter. Like, they had these weird series of games that they tried to make a sort of... that they, they tried to turn into tentpoles for the console, the same way that Nintendo would have for Mario, Pokemon, Star Fox, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so for Sony, it was Jack and Daxter, uh, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, and Ratchet and Clank. So I didn't know a whole lot going into this movie. But from what I did know, I think they got most of it. The basic premise is Ratchet is a Lombax, which is this race of just about extinct species, I believe, depending... I'm not familiar with the storyline, so I'll, I remember that he's a very rare species of alien called a Lombax, which is pretty cat-fox-like. He's a bipedal sort of mammal creature with big ears and a tail, but he works as a mechanic on his desert planet and runs into Clank, a little defect robot from a factory that builds sentry bots and killer bots, and Clank tells Ratchet about this evil plan to destroy the universe or some planet or something or another. Basically, the bad guy who created Clank is out to do bad things, and he and Ratchet team up to stop them. And this time around, the bad guy is some corporate analog. I didn't really catch a name. I don't really remember his name. I remember he's played by Paul Giamatti. And this is one of those ones where it's probably fun for him to play, but it wasn't all that great of a character or all that remember. I mean, he's he's a Captain Planet villain for all intents and purposes. And so the main bad guy from Ratchet and Clank, uh, Dr. Nefarious, I believe, a lot of this is foggy in my memory because it's been a while since I saw the movie and I'm not familiar with the games. But Dr. Nefarious, or some playoff of Nefarious invents these robots for Paul Giamatti's character to take over the planets, and he's trying to build some kind of Frankenstein planet. They don't really go into what his plans are, only that he's bad and corporate, so he's double bad. And Ratchet goes from just some mechanic in the desert to essentially a Luke Skywalker character where he wants to join this group of space rangers led by Jim Ward, who is essentially playing this big, square-jawed, you know, 
superhero archetype. And once Ratchet and Clank team up, they are able to join the Space Rangers. And the Space Rangers are pretty forgettable. There's some lizard-like one that likes to shoot things. There's a tomboyish girl played by Bella Thorne. And there's some nerdy girl who looks like that one alien you get to sleep with in Mass Effect played by Rosario Dawson. I remember the actors. I don't remember the characters or really much of anything about the movie because it really is pretty bland. The stuff that works is the stuff that I could gather had to do with the actual games. Stuff that came from the games like how Ratchet and Clank banter with one another, Dr. Nefarious. A lot of the storyline from the games worked. The stuff that didn't work was stuff that was crammed in. Stuff like texting. Lots of texting jokes. People keep trying to make texting jokes. I'll talk about that in a later review. But trying to do that, and like they're also like hashtag jokes. And I feel like... I feel like that's this lame attempt to reference something in the present when you don't have any other actual jokes to say. Like, if you're lacking in actual humor, you make a pop culture reference. That's what Family Guy's been doing for years now. And that's what we get a lot in this. There's so many texting jokes, and there's a, there's a hashtag joke, and the parts of the story that aren't based on the game are based on Star Wars, right down to the villain having a Death Star that blows up planets. So it really isn't that great of a movie because it relies on terrible jokes and an already-been-done storyline, plus having really weak characters besides Ratchet and Clank. And even Ratchet and Clank aren't that great, but they are better than the supporting cast. Paul Giamatti is okay. Uh, Sylvester Stallone apparently plays the uh, second big bad, like the one that does all the fighting. He was unrecognizable to me, so good for him, I guess. But so much of this movie was underwritten. And I feel like if they took more time to actually make these characters memorable to you, instead of them being complete stereotypes, this movie would be great. Like, you could have a really good movie, but they didn't either want to take the time or they wanted to make it better for an international audience so they didn't want to bog it down in character and story and all that. They just wanted something. Because this movie was also made by like six different studios or like seven or eight different studios. Like there were probably like a minute of just the logos for all the different studios involved in making it. And a bunch of them were from China. So... Between Sony, ba Sony based in Japan, Chinese either financing or production or something, and whoever animated it over here in America and produced it over here, this was like a multinational production and probably had a lot of stuff that was missed in translation or it was just stuff that was done. So, hey, make sure that pretty much anybody can understand it. But then you make something that isn't all that... Good. I mean, the Transformers series and the Resident Evil series do great overseas because they aren't that well-developed. They're just noise and 
sound and fury signifying nothing, ultimately. And Ratchet and Clank isn't that bad. It's not Transformers bad or Resident Evil bad, but it's not great. Like, you could have done something really great if they stuck more to the video game storyline. It probably would have been a much better movie. Like, this could have been one long cutscene, essentially. And while that sounds bad, it could work because the Ratchet and Clank games, from what I've seen, were on the PS2 when the PS2 was kind of janky, so it wasn't the best animation to begin with. So if they made that really clean animation, but told essentially the same story, you'd be fine. But this relies too much on stereotype characters and cliche storylines, so much so that there really isn't anything to say about it. I mean, there are references to other Sony games like Sly Cooper and Crash Bandicoot, but they're like little Easter eggs. And I just feel like this movie had much more potential than what we ultimately get. In all honesty, it kind of feels like a direct-to-DVD movie, like something on demand that they do for Netflix, or something you get your kids if they really, really liked Ratchet and Clank. But ultimately, it's not all that great or memorable. And I feel like it's just a lot of missed potential for the most part. It's not terrible, it's just disappointing, really. Dad! Are you okay, Dad? Happy Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Tanner, no, 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 no! Oh, it's like the fourth time he's done this. While Ratchet and Clank wasn't terrible, just disappointing, Mother's Day was terrible. You see, in the 80s, we had a series of movies based on holidays. They were all slashers. My Bloody Valentine, April Fool's Day, there was a Mother's Day, there was Friday the 13th, Halloween, all stemmed from Halloween. John Carpenter's Halloween essentially started a trend of holiday-themed slasher movies, most of which have been remade within the last 10 years. And now, Gary Marshall has done that same concept, taking holidays and centering movies around them, only with rom-coms. Gary Marshall, the director of Beaches and Pretty Woman, as well as The Two Princess Diaries, has spent the last six years making movies centered on holidays. Like, he's trying to make this multi-character, like... I'm trying to think, like, if you remember the movie Crash, it was probably best known for having these separate storylines that converged by movie's end. And that's what he's doing, essentially, for all of these. All of these characters seem to have weird connections, most of which don't really make sense, and they all center around this one holiday. He started it off with Valentine's Day, which was a pile of garbage I actually reviewed for my college paper back when they allowed me to do movie reviews for them. And it was painful to sit through. This was the movie... Valentine's Day was the movie that premiered Taylor Swift, the actress. And it was as bad as it sounds. He followed that up with New Year's Eve where it's the same thing, only now it's about New Year's Eve, and it's, it's all, uh, it's so hard to describe, because it's so, 
fluid because it's like these characters are so interchangeable. They're they're all they're all white for the most part, really, because there aren't really that many people of color in his in these movies. There's like looking at Valentine's Day, we have Jessica's Alba and Beale. Bradley Cooper, Patrick Dempsey, Topher Grace, Anne Hathaway, Jennifer Garner, Ashton Kutcher, Taylor Lautner, Emma Roberts, Shirley MacLaine, Taylor Swift, and there are some people of color in here, Jamie Foxx and George Lopez, but from what I remember of the movie, they aren't very well-written characters. They aren't very memorable characters like i feel like that relied a lot once again a lot on stereotypes and this time around it's about mother's day and they make sure to beat that into your head every second they get hey remember to love your mother ah just mm. this feels like something a mother would do to their child for not calling enough. It, it's so... Mm, uh, okay. Base, the basic premise centers on four characters that they advertise, as well as several that I'll get into. Jennifer Anderson is a divorcee who has to deal with her ex-husband marrying a younger woman. Kate Hudson has to deal with racist parents from Texas. Julia Roberts is some QVC saleswoman, spokeswoman, somebody. I didn't even know they had famous QVC saleswomen, but apparently that's what she is because that's how they describe her. You'd think they'd try to make her into like an Oprah or an Ellen, somebody who does a talk show, but all she does is hawk jewelry. Why, why pass her off? Anyway, not the point. Uh, the last main character is Jason Sudeikis as a widower. And it centers on the four of them somehow mingling together, like Jennifer Aniston's an interior designer, which they bring up halfway through the movie so that she can somehow meet Julia Roberts' character. None of which really makes all that much sense. But anyway, not important. The only other important thing to remember is the characters that they don't talk about, which are the British stand-up comedian who gets denied proposals by his baby mama, which is the only other way, it, girlfriend slash mother of his child, and he has to win $5,000 in a stand-up contest. I'll get into it. And... The only other character that they don't really talk about is Sarah Chalk, best known as Elliot from Scrubs, as Kate Hudson's sister, who is gay and married to Cameron Esposito. So, this movie is a complete train wreck. It's... It, I just saw it today, the day I'm recording, Sunday, and I'm, like, trying to describe it, but I can't get it. All I know is that... Jennifer Aniston is a klutz, and it's all wacky, wavy, inflatable arm, flailing tube man antics, whoop, slapstick comedy, oh no, she, she, ah, uh, uh, and it, it's not interesting, it, it doesn't make her character interesting, it just makes her annoying, and 
like I said, Julia Roberts is like a QVC saleswoman, but she's like the best ever. Like, I don't know if it's her. It's never explained why people care about her. She's selling a book and she hawks jewelry. Like, it would make sense if they established her as a talk show host, like Ellen, like Oprah, like those daytime talk show hosts. And she would have interviews with people. That might make even more sense. Make her a talk show host. Have people... But no, it's some book I didn't even catch the title of because it doesn't matter. All, that, all you need to know is that she's famous somehow, but she's also a mom. And Kate Hudson is okay. Like, she's about as good as she's ever been in these terrible, terrible, horribly written rom-coms. And she's married to former Daily Show correspondent Asif Manvi, which is part of her parents' horrible, horrible racism, which kind of gets brushed under the rug by saying, oh, it's okay, the mo other mom is racist too, and just because they're racist and homophobic doesn't mean they're terrible. It's... It's a very, very complex issue in real life. And this is just brushed under the rug because, oh, it's okay. Their mom loves the mixed-race baby that her daughter has. And that solves racism? I don't know. This wasn't that thought... Well, it's not... It's so unthought. Nobody put thought into this. Nobody thought of what they were saying with this movie. It's like, we just want to make a movie with these people, and who cares? And, like, somebody said, oh, how about we talk about a gay couple and, and, and mixed race, and then it's okay by the movie's end, even though Asif Manvi gets told to... Stay, get get on the ground while the rest of his family has just has to put their hands behind their heads. But it's okay. The, oh God, this movie is so terrible. It I don't get it. Why, how does this keep happening? Who lets these things happen? These jokes are so hacky. And this is once again, like I was mentioning, the uh, texting jokes from before. This one has plenty of texting and tweeting and oh my goodness, this new generation is so into their technology. Thanks, old man Gary Marshall. Do you have anything of substance to say? No. Then why are you doing anything? Ah! Sort of Ah, the more I think about this movie, the more it drives me crazy. Ugh. And Valentine's Day was the same thing. I left Valentine's Day. Yes, before I tried recording my reviews on the internet, I left Valentine's Day. I walked out of the movie because I could not take this... Like, this is terrible by sitcom standards. And most sitcom standards aren't all that great to begin with. Ugh, why does this keep happening? I feel like this is somebody's way of saying, Oh, it's okay. Grandpa Gary just wants to make a movie. Here's $10 million. Go have fun. And if that's the case... 
Don't release it to the public. Although, there were people who did enjoy the the nonsense that this movie was trying to do. And it... This is something I like to call momsploitation. I mentioned Christploitation in an early episode when I talked about stuff like Miracles from Heaven and God's Not Dead, where it exploits the... Christian audience, this is momsploitation. This is saying, hey, moms, do you not understand the texting and the tweeting? Do you have trouble dealing with your ex-husband marrying a younger, prettier girl? Are your parents racist? Is one of your kids gay? Well, then here's the movie for you. And thankfully, this wasn't raucous. This wasn't uproarious laughter. It was a few chuckles here and there. For the most part, people were pretty silent because not a lot in here is actually funny. The only time I actually laughed was because I was so tired and bored from watching the rest of this movie that somebody got a clever line in there. And it caught me by surprise. It wasn't even that great of a line. I don't even remember what the line was because this movie should not be remembered. This is the kind of garbage that you get dragged to by your mom or you drag your mom to because she's not going to want to see Avengers 5 or Batman v Superman Dark of Justice. So you take her to this nothing, this nothing of a movie because there's nothing, because God forbid you take her to something of substance. Like, the last movie I took my mom to was Philomena, which was four years ago this December. So just now, three and a half years ago or so. And that was great. Philomena was a fantastic movie. I probably never would have seen it if my mom didn't say she wanted to see it. Similar to how I wouldn't have seen The 33 last year if my dad hadn't wanted to see it first. So the instances where my parents want to see movies... They want to see movies of substance that they're talking about. They're doing something. They do something. The 33 is the true story of the Chilean miners. And it was decent. It was good. It was way better than the critics gave it credit for. And Philomena is fantastic. Such a great story. And so compelling. And Mother's Day is garbage. Don't. Don't. Do this to your parents. Don't do this to your mothers. And mothers, don't do this to your children. Just go see The Jungle Book. It's way better. Akiyana! Here, kitty, kitty! Let's see what we got here. What is this? Oh, this is my shit right here. Last up, Keanu, from the masterminds behind Key and Peel, Fox's Mad TV alums, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peel. I should admit, I am a big fan of Key and Peel. I loved Key and Peel when it was on the air. And I completely understand why they left after five seasons. Because while they could have gone on making sketches forever, and people would have eaten it up because they're so well thought out, and executed sketches. It's obvious that they wanted to do other things. Keegan has been taking smaller credits and other comedies, 
And Jordan Peele probably just wants to do something other than the TV series. And here, it's essentially one long Key and Peele sketch about two corny black dudes who have to go into the hood because in the twist on the story of John Wick, one of the guys, played by Jordan Peele, adopts a kitten. And after the guy's apartment gets broken into, it turns out the kitten was abducted by a gang who was just looking for pot. And so Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key have to go between the corny, as uh, Jordan Peele describes it, Richard Pryor doing the impression of a white man and the sort of stereotypical hood gangster talk. And there's a lot of use of the uh, N-word, let's say. The N there's a lot of N-bombs being dropped. And I really, like, I was excited for this when I first saw the trailer. And this movie essentially delivered on everything I wanted. It was solid action. It was hilarious for the most part. And the only thing I would say is it does kind of go cliche by the end. But up until the last 20 minutes, it's essentially a an awesome Key and Peele movie. And quite frankly, I would love if just every year or every year and a half, Key and Peele got to make a movie. They don't even have to star in it. They can just write it and I would watch it and it'd probably be the best thing to come out in comedy that year. On top of Key and Peele, you have Tiffany Haddish, who's been making a name for herself on the Gerard Carmichael show, uh, the Carmichael show, where she plays Gerard's ex-sister-in-law and she's good on that show she's great on that show i remember her more as a contestant on at midnight to be honest because she's fantastic when she's on at midnight and here she's playing that sort of gangsta hood character and she you know it's starts out as a stereotype but they they really develop these characters not as much as the main characters played by Key and Peel, but they each of the characters do get some semblance of a development and an arc. It's pretty basic. You probably, if they had more time, they probably could have gone into those individual characters more. And for all I know, there's probably stuff on the cutting room floor or edited out of the script after a few drafts just to save on time. But it's nice that they do get some development and the characters are... It, you know, they aren't completely interchangeable. There are differences between them, which in most movies centered on gangs, unless it's specifically about the gang, the gang is kind of forgettable. Like, mo unless it's centered around the actual gang itself, then the gang members are pretty interchangeable in most Hollywood movies, and especially in action movies. So to see that the characters called the 17th Street Blitz, which I won't reveal because... I do want to let this movie have some surprises. Like, I, there are guest stars that appear that I don't want to spoil, and there are jokes that I don't want to give away that, are, that aren't in the trailer, just because I, those are some of the better jokes. And, like, the rest of the supporting cast is great. Will Arnett plays uh, the sort of white guy with dreads who is uh, Jordan Peele's weed dealer, Method Man is the big bad. He is 
the gang leader of the 17th Street Blips who has Keanu, the little kitty. And I haven't seen the other three guys who play a guy named Trunk who kind of looks like Wiz Khalifa, but who, but who's, who's kind of, you know, he's kind of scrawny and pretty and pretty lanky looking. He's solid. There's a guy who kind of reminds me of Kevin Hart named Bud, who's shorter and kind of stockier. And then there's a big old like DMX looking brother who is named Stitches and who's kind of like that sort of heavy. He doesn't say a whole lot, but he's funny. And he's solid. And all of the all the supporting cast in here is solid. I love the guest stars and this really is a great movie. The only caveat I'll say is by the end it does kind of not work for me. Like I like I didn't leave the movie on the same high note I went in with. I don't want to give too much away. Just that personally I had some issues with the ending. Otherwise, it's a it's a perfect comedy. I love pretty much everything that the guys did. Which is about on par with the actual sketch show Key and Peel. Not everything on Key and Peel hit for me, and the stuff that did was phenomenal and completely, and like some of the best comedy writing or co- just comedy improv, even just comedy in general that I've seen in a long time. And I, I would love to see just every year, every you know, every production cycle, whatever, Key and Peele get together, write a comedy. doesn't have to be, like, a series. And, you know, def- we don't have to see Keanu 2. I, don't, I would rather not see Keanu 2. I like Keanu enough to not see a Keanu 2. I would rather see them do something else. Like, do something different. Write new characters. Don't do corny black guys go to the hood. Do something else. But, like... If the Wayans had the writing power of what Keen Peel have, they'd still be on top in terms of sort of black parody. And I feel like I don't want them to do strictly black parody, so to speak. I, I would but I would love to see them make more movies. That's all. They don't have to be sequels, they don't have to be like a franchise. I'd love for them to do what um Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, and Edgar Wright did with the Cornetto trilogy, where it's this franchise of movies that's centered around where it's all the same actors or a similar cast, but it's completely different stories every time. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. But it's probably not going to happen, so I shouldn't get my hopes up. All right, after the break... We'll be talking about the joys of adapting video games to film. It was a dark and spooky Halloween night when I, Dracula, thought that I would invite all of my freaky friends who were there in a flash to a big dance party, a monster bash. Wolfman, Frankenstein, and Mommy were there, while Medusa fed some mice to the snakes in her hair. It was a groovy good time for a vampire bat to fly out of his coffin and... What was that? Actually, we were just dancing. Oh boy, this is quite the topic. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't seen a lot of these movies. 
Like, when I talked about prequels last week, I hadn't seen a bunch of those, but the ones I did see were pretty bad. Here, there are some I just strictly avoid, just because I know they're not going to be any good, and I usually see them being reviewed by somebody on the internet for fun and profit. Not fun for them because they have to sit through the thing, but you get my point. Guys like the Nostalgia Critic and Spoonie and people like that where they review bad movies for the comedic value. Mostly of them going through pain. Anyway, the first ever video game movie adaptation was the notorious flop Super Mario Brothers. Starring Bob Hoskins as Mario Mario, John Leguizamo as Luigi Mario, and Dennis Hopper wearing spikes on his head as King Koopa. And Big Bertha the Fish was a black lady in a red dress. It, uh, this one is one of, like I said, I hadn't seen this movie. I just know it's bad, and I've seen it. What I've seen is from people reviewing it for how bad it is. And yeah, it, it completely, like it's talking about this weird thing of the Koopas devolving humans into monkeys and allowing for the dinosaurs to take over the earth. Completely missing the point of Mario. Like the point of Mario from the original Super Mario Brothers was that King Koopa, Bowser, was taking over the Mushroom Kingdom and turned the citizens into bricks, which Mario then destroyed and turned to bits with his fists. Good on him. But yeah, it's Bowser kidnapping Princess Peach, and then when the kidnapping is done, they go play kart racing and tennis and have a party. That's the plot of the games, essentially, is... Bowser kidnaps the princess, and then when it's all over, they go and have fun at the go-kart racing. Like, 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 you know those places that have, like, go-kart racing on one end, and then, like, laser tag on the other side, where it's, like, this big party complex? I feel like that's what they do in their spare time. They go to that party complex, and they either have race go-karts, or they throw a big party in the main part of the complex, or they go play tennis or sports, like golf and soccer in the back of the complex. But yeah, that's Super Mario Brothers, and the movie completely missed all of that. And from what I can tell, it was just terrible to begin with. It's just very, this very Hollywood way of looking at games. And I, hearing rumors of a Nintendo movie universe along the lines of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I've yet to see anything, even, like, I didn't even watch the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, where Captain Lou Albano played Mario in the live-action parts. I, that was way before my time, but that was before I was even born. And I've yet to see Mario work in a cinematic setting. It's always been in a game setting. Like, the closest thing I could think of is the Super Smash Brothers brawl storyline that they did, whatever that was called. That really worked for me. I would love to see that as a movie. But yeah, Super Mario Brothers, bleh. 
that was followed up by Double Dragon, which was one of those beat-em-up, like, side-scrollers. I never played the game. Don't remember the movie at all. Moving along. Street Fighter, best known as the final on-screen performance by Raul Julia, who is really best known to 90s kids as Gomez Adams in The Adams Family. I don't know much besides that, but he plays M. Bison, and it's very cheesy, and he chews up the scenery. Like, the nostalgia critic used the clip of him saying, of course, for whenever he said the phrase, taking over the world. And a bunch of Channel Awesome guys used that clip. It's very notorious in how bad it is. Like, Jean-Claude Van Damme plays the American military member, Lieutenant Surge. I don't remember what branch of the military he is, I think he's either Air Force or Marines or something. He's he's a member of the U.S. military, played by a Danish man. They did get uh, Ming-Na, uh, best known as Mulan and Agent May from Agents of the Shield, to play Chun-Li. I don't know who's going up to Huracan saying, will you sign my Street Fighter DVD cover? But good for her, I guess. But yeah, Street Fighter, the movie. That, well, that well, once again, another notorious bomb, best remembered as a terrible movie. The Mortal Kombat movies. The first one I did see. I did see the original Mortal Kombat. It wasn't great. Like, it did its best to try and adapt the storyline of a fighting tournament. But it wasn't great. Like, I remember when they tried to do Reptile, the green ninja that had a lizard for her head. And it was bad. And, oh, God, they did the, tried to do that one with the forearms. And that it was terrible, terrible CG by Paul W.S. Anderson. He'll, we'll get back to him later. But that first Mortal Kombat wasn't terrible. Best thing about it was the theme song. That techno sort of 90s era. You know the song. any of the sequels I've heard nothing but bad things about them and most of them were direct to DVD from what I remember or they weren't in theaters that long so yeah Mortal Kombat not a decent first like that was the best one they had to date by that point and that was followed up by Wing Commander starring Freddie Prinze Jr. and Matthew Lillard I don't even remember the Wing Commander game. I think it was for the Atari or something. Or it was an arcade game. It was a fight, jet fighter game. And it, I think it turned into some kind of Top Gun knockoff. I've heard... I barely remember it. And from what I've heard of it, like, there's, like, this one guy I follow who does a podcast where they review movies, and he admits to loving Wing Commander... He is the only one I know who has said anything positive about Wing Commander. The most you hear about Wing Commander, if you ask somebody, is, what's a Wing Commander? There's a game called Wing Commander. They made a movie based off the game. So, yeah, that's how much it's slipped from public consciousness. Wing Commander was then followed up by 
the Angelina Jolie starring Lara Croft Tomb Raider. And I don't really remember the first Tomb Raider. I never played the games to begin with. I, like I said in the Ratchet and Clank review, when those games were coming out, I was on the six, Nintendo 64, the Nintendo GameCube, and then I went to the Xbox. I never had, I never had Playstations. My brother had a PS1. I think he may have moved up to a PS2, but I never played the PlayStation games growing up. I didn't get a PlayStation until the 3 came out, and I think that was like a year into the 3 being out. So I grew up on Nintendo and Microsoft for the most part. So I don't remember playing Lara Croft. I remember the first movie not being terrible. Topping that top, I remember that topped Mortal Kombat as the best, but it wasn't that great. And it was followed up by a sequel that is considered one of the worst movies ever made. I hear they want to do it again with Daisy Ridley, uh, Ray from Episode 7. It could work, I guess. They I, they want to do it off that reboot they just did for uh, Xbox, uh, for the X-Bone and the PS4. I never played that game. I've heard good things about it. I heard it. I, I remember the most controversial thing being they downgraded her bra size and made her less of a sexual object. Because that was the thing about the original Tomb Raider games, was that it was like big old square polygon boobs. And so it made sense that Angelina Jolie would play that character, even though her English accent was horrendous. So if they want to try it again with a more modest character design... And a seemingly better actress. I don't know much of Daisy Ridley outside of Star Wars. And she was okay in Star Wars. Like, I need to see her outside of Star Wars to see if she's any good. Not, you know, it's not like John Boyega, where I've seen him before. I've seen John Boyega in Attack the Block and Star Wars. He's phenomenal. But we're not talking about him. Uh, we're talking about the next game in the series, Final Fantasy Spirits Within. <laughs> I've heard... Terrible things about this movie. It's a CG animated movie that is right in the uncanny valley, which is that point where the human eye can't tell if it's human or not, and it bothers the brain. It's painful to look at. It, it If you remember a lot of the Robert Zemeckis motion capture movies like Polar Express, Beowulf, Mars Needs Moms, all those movies... Especially early on with the Polar Express, where it was all kind of dead-eyed. That is essentially what the Uncanny Valley is. And that's what people have said about Spirit Within. Once again, didn't have a PlayStation 2, never played Final Fantasy VII, never watched Spirit Within. I'm just going off what other people say. And unlike Wing Commander, which people don't remember, I've heard fans say they like Spirit Within. There are also fans of Final Fantasy VII. And I think I've also heard Final Fantasy VII fans they say they can't stand Spirits Within. From what I've seen from like the trailer and from like music videos set to clips from that movie, with like you know how some people make music videos to like evanescent songs or you know, whatever based on a certain anime or animated movie or just a movie in general. I've seen some of those with Final Fantasy Spirits Within, like way, way back in the early days of YouTube. So, I mean, try, I guess, check it out. I, I don't know how well it's aged. I just remember it looked really, really weird because it was 
at the it was probably the best CG animation at that point where CG animation had been so bad before that. Here there was CG animation to the point that you couldn't tell whether or not it was real. So good for them for breaking that bond. Now we see that all the time. Weta just did that with the Jungle Book. So good on Spirits Within for kind of blazing that trail, I guess. We follow Final Fantasy with the Resident Evil series. Hi, Paul W.S. Anderson. Go to hell. Really, between a hokey Mortal Kombat movie and the entire Resident Evil franchise, along with, you know, Alien vs. Predator and pretty much everything I've ever seen him do, I just cannot stand Paul W.S. Anderson. I think he's a hack of a filmmaker, personally. And, like... I'm okay with, like, cheesy, hokey cinema. Like, one of my favorite movies to come out in the last few years was Pacific Rim. And that's hokey as all get out. But it got me right in my childhood because I always grew up a Godzilla fan. So Pacific Rim hit me right in my sweet spot. Nothing Paul W.S. Anderson has done besides that first Mortal Kombat movie ever really hit me in my sweet spot. Like, I haven't seen the original Resident Evil all the way through in a long time. But everything I've seen from him in that series following that first movie has been terrible. Everything I've seen from it, everything I've heard about it has been garbage. So yeah. Hi, Paul W.S. Anderson. Please go to hell. Signed, John Bailey. Next up, we have Doom. Back when The Rock couldn't save a movie. Just after playing The Scorpion King, I believe... The Rock got signed to the Doom movie, which was based on the groundbreaking first-person shooter game from the 90s. I believe I said in my Hardcore Henry review that Doom kind of played around with first-person POV. And I think a Doom movie could be good with the Hardcore Henry setup, where it is like somebody playing the game. But what they gave us was a generic sci-fi action shooter and I never saw it I just remember not seeing anything that I would have liked I think Michelle Rodriguez is in it too <laughs> poor thing up next the two Silent Hill movies I didn't see the original Silent Hill I think I saw the second one on DVD I just remember them not being great and the thing is while I haven't played the Silent Hill games I think the Silent Hill games would make perfect movies. And, like, Guillermo del Toro was going to work with Hideo Kojima to make this Silent Hill game that was going to be fantastic, and the internet is still pissed at Konami for cutting that cord. And I think a Silent Hill movie could work if you got Scott Derrickson, who uh, did Sinister. You know, guys who work with horror, who work with... not And not just, like, jump scare horror, like Paranormal Activity or The Conjuring or insidious, but, like, real psychological terror. I could see an amazing Silent Hill movie, especially since it's based on Chernobyl. Like, it, it, uh, I mean, all you'd have to do is make a really, really scary, terrifying movie based in that universe, following the basic premise of the games, even, and it would make for a fantastic movie. 
and nobody's done it yet. How, 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 how has nobody done this yet? That's literally, you could, why is there more Resident Evil movies than there are Silent Hill movies? Ah, I want to go to that universe. You know the multiverse theory where every decision that's made and every action that's done has all these different, like, ripple effects on history and, like, quantum physicists speculate that there is sort of like a Marvel or DC sort of multiverse theory where there are universes where Hitler won World War II, where there are universes where superheroes do exist, you know, things like that, you know, speculative things like that. I want to go to the universe where there are more Silent Hill movies than there are Resident Evil movies. That's just me. Here's one I bet you don't remember. Dead or Alive. You know, the video game of the girls with the breast jiggle physics? That's a thing. Look up the jiggle physics for Dead or Alive Beach Volleyball. That's a thing. It's an mostly female. I don't remember a lot of male characters in the actual fighting game. I mostly remember that it's about scantily clad women. And they made that into a movie. Not the volleyball section, mine. I think, oh god, I think they did do a volleyball section. Oh god, I think they did do a volleyball section. Oh god. So yeah, Dead or Alive. It's a movie. It exists. I dare you to look it up. Next up, the two Hitman movies. I haven't seen either of them. Once again, nor have I played the games. I haven't had a lot of the time. When the, by the time the Hitman movies came out, I was either working on this sort of reviewing stuff, or I was in school, or I was preoccupied with, like, Pokemon and stuff. So I wasn't really focused on the Hitman series. But I've heard good things about the game, just not great things about the movies. The movies apparently are generic as all get-out from what I've heard and seen and gathered. So could be a decent concept. They just haven't done it right yet. Next up, <laughs> oh, I remember hearing about this. The Mark Wahlberg, Mila Kunis starring Max Payne movie where it was that point in the late 2000s where everyone was trying to... I forget what movie started it, but there was, like, all this dark imagery. Everything was, like, this grit... had, like, a gray filter over it. Like, Daredevil, I remember, had a gr dark gray, gritty filter over it. And all these different sort of properties were, like... Argh. I don't remember what started it, but... Ugh, God, yeah. I don't even remember watching. I just remember seeing it and, remi and remembering, oh, God, that looks terrible. And from what I hear, the Max Payne games are pretty good. Like, Max Payne was the first game to make use of bullet time. And I guess if you wanted to do something like that with this sort I think it's like, it's a shooter. I remember that. And I don't remember the... I think it's about dead wife and kids, something like that, but... Yeah, that movie. <laughs> if you want a bad time, go watch Max Payne if you can find it. <laughs> uh, next up, we return to Street Fighter with the direct-to-DVD quality of Street Fighter The Legend of Chun-Li. This was another one that, that I think it came right on the heels of the Dragon Ball movie. And I think like even Michael Clark Duncan was in this as somebody, I don't think he was M. Bison. Was he M. Bison? Oh, God. Please let him be M. Bison. Okay, no. It's some... Neil McDonough. Right then. Uh, yeah, the guy who played 
M. Bison is uh, the guy who plays Dum Dum Dugan in the Marvel Universe and something Damien Dark in the DC TV Universe. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan played Balrog, uh, who was the boxer, which makes more sense. Balrog's this big Mike Tyson-looking guy, so of course Michael Clark Duncan's going to play him. Anyway, I just remember that being... Terrible and comp- and once again, right on the heels of the Dragon Ball movie of this terrible, terrible adaptation of a property, just completely missing the point and being just so terribly written and acted and directed. Once again, if you wanna, you know, if you wanna, you know, fl- self flagellate, go watch Street Fighter: The Legend of Chun Li. Once again, if you can find it. Probably in a bargain bin somewhere. Uh, the next real big one, um, I think during this whole time, like Resident Evil movies kept being released. And uh, there's another, there's a bunch of other movies that I'll get into in a bit. But I think the next real big one was the Prince of Persia movie, starring Jake Gyllenhaal as the titular Prince of Persia. Because I guess that was before Asif Manvi? Was there or somebody, somebody of vaguely Persian descent? If you look at artwork of the character from Prince of Persia, I don't remember his name. Once again, another game series I've never actually played. I've played some Street Fighter. I know some Street Fighter. Most of the Street Fighter I know is kind of through proxy, like people talking about Street Fighter. I don't know anything about Prince of Persia. I do know that Jake Gyllenhaal don't look like he's Persian. And there was like some British actress in there. Who was she? Uh, Ben Kingsley played the bad guy, Natch. Gemma Arterton. Oh my god, is that who I think it is? Gemma Arterton. Hansel and Gretel. Oh lordy. Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, starring the MCU's Hawkeye himself, Jeremy Renner. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Yeah, so she, that British actress, got to play the princess of Persia, I guess. Oh, Lordy. Yeah, I don't remember that being any good. I remember it being Disney, produced by Disney, and being this big CGI-laden mess where Jake Gyllenhaal is apparently Persian and Ben Kingsley is the bad guy, again. Uh, next up, the Need for Speed movie which was essentially a knockoff of the Fast and Furious series starring Jesse Pinkman himself, Aaron Paul. And he was decent. Like, he, he wasn't that much of a character in that. And it was all a complete Fast and Furious ripoff. Like, don't kid yourself. Need for Speed is a complete Fast and Furious wannabe. It's like Fast and Furious' little brother being like, hey, I can do that too, I can do that too. And it can't really. Because it's missing what worked with the Fast and Furious Relatable and likable characters. So, sorry, Need for Speed. Nice try. Too bad you came in second. Or some other vaguely race-based pun. Then we were up to date now with Ratchet and Clank. And you just heard my thoughts on that. The only other things I didn't talk about are the... Uwe Boll video game adaptations. If you don't know the name, Uwe Boll... U-W-E-B-O-L-L is the bane of filmmaking. He exploited a loophole in the German tax code 
to profit off of poorly made and well, poorly made video game adaptations, starting with House of the Dead. Do you remember House of the Dead from the arcade where the, they had like the actual gun you can hold up and shoot? He made that into a movie somehow, followed by Alone in the Dark with Christian Slater and Tara Reid. I never played that game either. I think it was another one of those arcade shooters. Followed that up with Blood Rain, another, I guess, arcade game, I guess. I don't know these games, but I do remember their terrible movies thanks to the mastermind of terrible video game movies himself, Uwe Boll, the tax fraud committing, critic punching moron that he is. He followed Blood Rain up with Postal. To those who don't know about Postal, Postal was the precursor to Grand Theft Auto. It was that sort of game that really drove parents to want a rating system for video games because you were literally a mail carrier going postal. Meaning you literally have to kill every mother in the room, to quote Tarantino. And Uwe Boll turned that into a movie. And I think it cost like a couple million to make and only earned a hundred thousand because Uwe Boll. Uwe Boll with a cactus. He followed that up with the Jason Statham and Burt Reynolds starring movie based on Dungeon Siege, another video game I'd never heard of. But apparently it exists, and apparently he adapted it to a movie that was the terrible Lord of the Rings wannabe in The Name of the King, where Burt Reynolds is the American king to an entire British population. This was very poorly thought out. And it's that's one of those movies where it's like, you have to marvel in how terrible it is. And the last one he's made was Far Cry, which all I've seen from it are one-star ratings on Netflix. And that's about it. I never watched anything of the movie itself. I do know the Far Cry series. I know that's wildly popular for being one of those games to have like an open gameplay where you could literally do just about anything in that universe. And the movie... I never watched anything from it. All I know is that nobody liked it. And I remember he the first original movie he tried to make that wasn't a hack adaptation of a video game was completely underfunded on Kickstarter and he got all pissy and said, screw everybody, I go play golf now. I saw it, I could just play golf forever. Good. Fuck you, Uwe Ball. Fuck you with a cactus on the end of a golf club. For what? Uh, so yeah, uh, besides that, there are just like a ton of video game anime, like the Pokemon anime and Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney anime. There's a bunch of Japanese adaptations of video games too that never made it over here. So these were just the American ones. I mean, if you can find somebody who's more averse in Japanese media, you can find all kinds of adaptations of video games since a lot of them came out of Japan. So they are more likely to do business with those Japanese companies than sell them over here to America. But yeah, that's there's like a ton of different video... Like there was a Street Fighter anime. There's been Mortal Kombat anime. 
Tekken anime, there are all kinds of different video game-based anime. Other than that, there's a bunch, a bunch of upcoming video game movies. The first mobile game-turned-movie, Angry Birds, which looks just like the worst. I think between Mother's Day and Angry Birds, I'm going to have a literal hate-on for Jason Sudeikis, just because he hasn't been anything where I liked him ever. Like, his days on SNL are so long ago, and so much since then has been just garbage. But that's not important. After that, we have the Warcraft movie, which has been something I've been anticipating. I don't know if it's any good. It's very CG-heavy, so I don't know if that'll work against it. I do know that it's the first fantasy movie to show orcs as a sentient species where they're on equal terms as the humans, as characters. And that was the thing about the Warcraft series, because this isn't World of Warcraft yet. This was the original Warcraft game, which like came out in the 90s, I believe, for PC. And it's kind of that storyline from what I hear, where it's the orcs are displaced and have to find a new home and eventually start a war with the humans for territory. And it looks de it looks decent. I looks like a lot of... Like, it looks like the... the like a good follower to The Lord of the Rings. Much better than The Hobbit was. So we'll see. I know it's um, the late David Bowie's son, Duncan Jones, who was the uh, director of Moon and Source Code behind it. And he's been working on this for years now. And I really hope it works out for him. Just I don't even know if the movie's going to be any good. I just hope it works out for him just so he can continue making movies, because I love what Duncan Jones can do with a movie. I loved Moon. I still need to see Source Code, but I really want to see what he does with this property and with this story, because it looks um, it looks super interesting. And hopefully the CG will be ready and rendered and look more like The Jungle Book and less like, you know, Final Fantasy Spirits Within. After that, we have the Michael Fassbender starring Assassin's Creed movie. And looking into it, apparently he's not playing uh, Desmond Miles, which is kind of sad because I, it, which is good because it avoids that sort of whitewashing issue that's been plaguing Hollywood this year with Gods of Egypt and with the updates they're giving on Doctor Strange and Ghost in the Shell. So it's good that they gave him an original character. Although it would be nice to see the Desmond Miles story, but hey, you know what? It's not a direct adaptation, so the people who played the game can get a new experience that's along the same lines. Basically, the story of Assassin's Creed, which I have played, is in the distant future, or in the near future, or alternate future, I forget what the timeline is, uh, there is a technology that allows you to go back into your past lives relive past lives through your ancestry, through your DNA. And in the games, Desmond Miles goes back and you play as Altair in the Middle East, in Damascus, and Jerusalem, and you go about hunting the Templars. It's the Hashashin, as they're known, as their original title, or the Assassins versus the Knights Templar. And you go about hunting, fighting this war for years, you know, starting with the Crusades, and going on, the last one was Victorian London. So all throughout history, the Assassin's Creed games have had you fighting the Templars. And 
you go play you play as Altair first, then your Ezio, which is the character I remember the most. He was the best developed character for the series. Then you play a an American named Connor, you play a pirate in one, you're French in another, you're British in another. There's one where you play a woman, and I think that would make for an interesting story where you're a guy, or it's a guy in the main, in the present, and when he goes back, he's playing, in a, he's living as a woman. Uh, the movie has Michael Fassbender as this new character in place of Desmond Miles, which, it's... It's not whitewashing in the sense that they've taken this vaguely ethnic character because they don't say what he is. People have speculated that he's like Italian American because he's best known as being ha having an Italian ancestor. But at the same time, starting with that ethnic character and then going back to the Middle East and whatnot, it does. It's I will say it's not as bad as Gods of Egypt. It, it would be nice, though. But at the same time, he's also a co-producer. Fassbender's producing this thing. So either he's a fan of the games or he's that passionate about the project. So good, you know? Either way, I, I hope it's a good movie. Because they did do that uh, live-action, like, prequel thing for one of the Ezio games. And I would have loved to see that as a full-length feature film. Hell, I also would have liked to see that IGN... April Fool's Day movie of Legend of Zelda as a feature film, too. Just with better graphics, but that's just me. The movie also has Marion Cotillard as essentially the, I'm guessing, the assistant character from the games who kind of helps Ma Miles uh, really harness this technology that they have and becomes a love interest uh, later on. And Jeremy Irons is in there as, I'm guessing, either the bad guy in the present or somebody in the past. Because there is... You know, he could be just about anybody at this point. I really love Jeremy Irons, and I'm glad he's part of this. So hopefully he gets a great character and not something forgettable or terrible like the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oof. Do you remember that? That was a thing that happened. Uh, next up, after that, in 2017, we get Resident Evil, the final, quote-unquote, chapter. I bet, yeah. Maybe the final chapter for now. But if that makes money, either they're going to do another one after that. It's going to be the whole thing with Jason, with Friday the 13th, or Nightmare on Elm Street. So many, so many long-running series try to pull a final chapter nonsense until somebody is, until they realize this still makes money. We need to go back to this. It's a stupid, stupid gambit and never works out. So yeah, we have that to look forward to. Joy. Thankfully, that's a year away, so I don't have to think about it for a while. After that, there's the Uncharted movie, which has been talked about. They were originally going to do it with uh, the guy who directed Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, maybe not that, or The Fighter. I know it was The Fighter, because it was just after The Fighter got won a bunch of Oscars. And it was Mark Wahlberg, and it was going to be like some sort of mob movie they wanted to do. And that eventually got... Uh, David O. Russell, the director. And I don't, I think that got scrapped. But they are doing an Uncharted movie, which makes sense. I mean, I think that could be the this generation's Indiana Jones. It was that in the game form. And if you got a decent guy, like if you got Nathan, Nathan Villian's too old, though. He's not in the best shape for that. And Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool, so he's got that. But, hey, you know, if 
it's slated for next summer. Hopefully they get it out in time. Either way, who knows? Anything could happen between now and then. The next three are being talked about, and they're in some level of pre-production. Uh, we've got the Sonic the Hedgehog movie that Sega wants to do. I don't know what they want to do with it. They've tried doing Sonic and stuff, mostly in animation, so I don't know if they want to do that in CG, or if they want to try and make that in live action. God help us. But there's that. Sony wants to do a Sly Cooper movie, which could work. I played the demo for one of the Sly Cooper games, and from what I've seen of Sly Cooper, it could work. I mean, it's a lot of stealth stuff, and it, you're essentially doing heist movies because it's about a thief. So from what I've seen of the cutscenes of that last one they did, I could see that as an animated movie. So if they got, like, DreamWorks to do a Sly Cooper movie, I'd be behind that. Sure, go for it. And then, God help him, Don Bluth wants to do a Dragon's Lair film. And I want that to happen, but I haven't seen a lot of progress. So hopefully it's still happening. I remember he was pushing it on the Nostalgia Critic, because Doug Walker is a big, big Don Bluth fanboy. Secret of Nim is one of his favorite movies. He's admitted to that. It's one of mine, too. It's a fan- Don Bluth did such fantastic work. And even later on... The stuff he did in the 90s with, like, Rockadoodle and Thumbelina and Troll in Central Park. Anastasia was really... I mean, Anastasia still gets confused as a Disney princess movie. That was, I believe, either Warner Brothers or DreamWorks, and that was Don Bluth animating. So, hey, he's good enough to fool people to think it's Disney, which makes sense because he animated for Disney, unlike The Black Cauldron and Fox and the Hound and a lot of the stuff of the late 70s, early 80s. But, yeah... Don Bluth is fantastic, and I would love to see a Dragon's Lair movie. I would love to see more animation from Don Bluth, period. And I think the only thing keeping him is age and technology and whatnot, because he's such a he's a real traditional animator, and so much of animation is done through computers nowadays, and like Flash and CG, that that traditional 2D animation style that Bluth perfected, just about, like... I can't think of an animator besides, like, maybe Hayao Miyazaki. But those movies, you don't see them in America anymore because it's cheaper to do CG and Flash. And the only reason you see them on TV was stuff like The Simpsons and stuff like even, like, Rick and Morty, popular right now. Great series. I, but all that animation is done in Korean sweatshops. Like, literally, it's all that stuff. The only way to get it out in a reasonable amount of time is to have... Thousands of Korean artists do all the sort of in-between stuff. It's That's the only way they get it done, and they have to do it, like, every year. So, I mean, it's it stinks. But, hey, you know, that's, that's what happens. That's technology, and that's life, I guess. Anyway, if you get the chance, do support Don Bluth Productions and the Dragon's Lair movie. I would love to see that come out. I would really love to see that come out. But that's just me. I also haven't played the Dragon's Lair game or the Space Ace game, but anyway, not important. The only other thing I wanted to talk about was the possibility, once again, the ideas you could do to make a good video game movie. The best, honestly, I think the best is Ratchet and Clank at this point. I haven't gone back and seen any of these, so I can't really say, but most of them are garbage, especially the stuff from Uwe Ball. But yeah, I mean, and video games have gotten to the point where they could make really great movies. Hell, there are guys who make 
video games that are pretty much like movies, like that Between Two Worlds or something like that. Um, one of them on this list that I want to talk about is The Last of Us. That was very cinematic, and I could totally see somebody doing a sort of Walking Dead-style adaptation of The Last of Us. And that would be kind of interesting. You get guys like Greg Nicotero or Tom Zavini to do the practical effects for the zombies, or the whatever you want to call them, sort of zombie stand-ins. And that would make for a solid movie. That would make for a solid, like, side series to, like, The Walking Dead. First one I have on my list is Shadow of the Colossus. That is such a fantastic-looking game. And I remember even trying to play it myself, and it was... I mean, part of it is the world is so fast, and there's no fast travel. Like, you you were going to these places in real time, essentially. And I could totally see a Shadow of the Colossus movie, but I, I, I guess it would be a lot of CG because and a lot of green screen with the guy on either a practical sort of set with fans blowing against him, but the storyline is so solid. I would love to see that as done as a movie, although I don't think it would be as good as the game itself. I don't know how you'd live up to that, but I would love to see them do that as a movie. If they had, you know, as long as they put the money behind it and the talent behind it. Next up, Castlevania. I think, Cas I'm surprised Castlevania hasn't been done. I mean, the only thing is I think Dracula is copyright of Universal, but if Universal got the rights from Capcom to do Castlevania and use Dracula, that would be fine. I would love, I would love to see like, oh God, who'd you get? You need, once again, you need a, a guy who's, well, shoot, that's the problem. You never hear Simon Belmont talk. How do you adapt a silent protagonist? Um, you don't want to do it like that Captain End where they turned him into a fop. You'd want to make him, like... You don't want to make him brooding, but you don't want to make him, like, a swash... I mean, you got the whip. That's his main weapon. But I feel... I, I, there's a... There's a... There's something you can do there. Like, Simon Belmont is, you know, out for revenge from Dracula because he's back after killing his family. And so all he has is the whip, and eventually he reaches the point, and so he goes through Dracula's castle... And Dracula is screwing with him the whole time and eventually reaches the point where he and Dracula fight in the climax. And I, the only problem is it's just him. So you need somebody to carry the film by himself, surrounded by monsters, and the only other real character is Dracula. I mean, you could make the other bosses into characters, but it's not like he has a companion. I feel like the later... Castlevania games where they do add side characters would make for better movies. They're more that would be more cinematic. But I feel like I feel like that's untapped potential. You know, there's a well of good cinema in Castlevania that hasn't been tapped yet. And if you got the right people behind it, once again, you could have a, a solid franchise on your hands. Uh, after that, we have the Arkham series. I'm surprised that Warner Brothers hasn't tried to do an Arkham-style thing. I mean, Arkham, the Arkham series, uh, Arkham Asylum, City, Origins, and Night were all born out of the Dark Knight. 
And so I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if the Ben Affleck standalone Batman movie was in the style of the Arkham series. And I feel like doing an Arkham Asylum or an Arkham City sort of thing would make for a good movie. There's, you know, there's good stories in that series to be told. And I wouldn't be surprised if Warner Brothers went that route for their future Batman movies. Next up, uh, the Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed Ezio trilogy. Like I said, when they were, when I was talking about the movie that they are doing, I would love to see the Ezio story done in a series of movies. But they are, they, they seem to be going for the more, um... They seem to be going their own storyline for the films, which makes sense because you're not retelling a story that people have already seen. But at the same time, I would love to see Ezio done on film. You get, uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember who played him in that little short they did and like that mini series for the web. But Ezio is such a great story that would make for dynamite cinema. Uh, next up, I have the Bioshock series. And there's another one. I They were talking about a Bioshock movie with, like, who was it? It was either Guillermo del Toro or somebody. But they were talking about a Bioshock movie that never got off the ground. And I feel like that would be solid. The only problem is you have... I feel like the only way to expand on it, because once again, you have a protagonist, some guy over a radio, and then a bunch of monsters. I feel like the way you build on that is you start with the story of the guy who built the underwater city and, like, rapture in its heyday, so to speak. Kind of like with um, Bioshock Infinite, where you're in the midst of the heyday of that city. And so you see ba- rapture before it goes to crap. Or you see those, in, like, you start the movie and that, you start the movie with the fall of rapture, and then as the guy's traveling, you start to see flashbacks of the heyday of rapture. That's how you kind of expand it and make it more cinematic. And I would love to see that sort of stuff. And I think that would be perfect for a movie. Like, that, uh, I mean, underwater, an underwater city, and you flash back to, like, Titanic era sort of wealth and power and all that. And then you see, like, the people trying to escape and all that. And then you kind of see how these monsters are set up. And then... And it's all revealed to you as the movie goes along. It essentially writes itself in that case. All you need is the guy to do it and whoever owns the rights to do it. So that's on whoever owns the rights to that. I forget who owns the rights. Like I mentioned with the Silent Hill movies, there's a good movie in there. You just have to stick with the games. And if you stick to what makes the games great and you put that in the movie, you probably get the best horror movie since what the exorcist probably that's how far back great horror goes because since then all you, you haven't really had anything of that magnitude like you've had the slashers but those got real cheesy real quick and there's something there in silent hill but nobody took it seriously you get people who've played the games to make the movie and I, you have a great movie on your hands You've got probably one of the best horror movies ever made. Probably even surpassing stuff like The Exorcist or The Omen. The next one I really, I would love to see this happen. Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. There's a vast history of Star Wars that's since 
pretty much been expunged from the Star Wars universe. And since they're going back and telling stuff like Rogue One and they're doing the origins, I would love a side series of movies. Like they mentioned like every three years or something, there's going to be the episodes. I would love like every second year, like after each episode going forward, you get an episode starting with the Old Republic. And you take from the expanded universe of the old Star Wars and you make a new cinematic Old Republic. I would love that because there's so much in those games that are would make for a great Star Wars movie. So much better than the prequel. Like, you would really it'll be something people have never seen before. Because if you haven't played the games or read the novels or the comics, you would have never heard of this Old Republic. So, like, the founding of the Old Republic and, like... The fight with the Sith. And, like, it'd be, like, this... And you could parallel the present-day movies with the old Republic movies. Holy shit, why isn't that happening? Disney, make that happen. I'm putting this out into the ether. Somebody, make this happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, next up, uh, the Fallout series. Given how much of cinema has been kind of catering towards the, the idea of post-apocalyptic scenery, I mean, we've gotten that since the 70s and even before then, since the Cold War, early days of the Cold War in the 50s. And yet Fallout seems to have completely gone untapped from film. Although that may be because the Fallout universe is so well-developed that a movie wouldn't really capture what's so great about the games. Once again, with like Shadow of the Colossus, the game is so great that a movie couldn't compare to that. But at the same time, I feel like a move, a Fallout movie would be fun because you get like the Pep Boy and all that little ch cheesy 50s-style PSA at the beginning. And then instead of the single character, you have like a, a group of characters that escape the vault and they have to survive in the wasteland. I think that would be interesting. I mean, you could do it. I think that's what you'd have to do to make it more cinematic. But it, it would be interesting. I would love to see what they tried with a Fallout movie. I haven't played the games. I've seen people play the games, and I've seen a lot of great stuff from the games. And I think Bethesda, if they, if Bethesda was involved, and you got really solid writers behind it, you would make a fantastic Fallout movie series. But that's just me. After that, we have L.A. Noir, which I haven't played either. But, eh, like it's 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 a fairly cinematic game in and of itself. It's it's um from Rockstar. It's essentially a police mystery sort of investigation in 1920s, 30s era Los Angeles, and the storyline there would essentially make for a great would essentially make for a solid movie. You know, it's the rise of a detective through the ranks of the LAPD. And a lot of the things you got with the... A lot of the hype with the game was the idea of lie detection and the sort of advancement of game technology. So, I don't know if it'd make for a great movie the way that a bunch of the stuff I mentioned would, but it would make for an interesting movie, I think. I mean, I don't know how you'd go for it, but... And once again, I haven't played Hitler Noir, so I don't know if the story would make sense or if it's just already been done with stuff like LA Confidential or things like that. This one I actually have to admit I did make the first attempts at a Saints Row script when I was in high school or like in college or something. 
I've been a fan of the Saints Row series since the beginning because I got it on the Xbox. And the Saints Row series is phenomenal. I love it, especially how crazy it goes towards the end. And like both Grand Theft Auto and Saints Row would make for phenomenal movies. And I feel like with Saints Row, you start, like you don't go crazy just yet. You leave the kernels for crazy in Saints Row 1. And then as it goes on, you, the series gets crazier and crazier and crazier, like the games did. You know, because Saints Row started as a GTA clone, and then it, as it went on, it went its own way. It found its niche in being super crazy. Like, that's the one where you carry a giant purple dildo bat. That's Saints Row in a nutshell. So, I would love to see them do that for a movie. And it would be really interesting to see what they do with it. And, like, I had the idea of, like, Keith David reprising his role from his voice character in it. Like, I think Michael Rappaport or somebody was was um, in the game as a voice. You have them essentially reprise their roles, and you start out in this, you know, vaguely Los Angeles-style city, and this guy wants to start his own gang, and then it's the gang, it's gang violence, and your gang building up turf. Like, I think that would be for a solid movie. And, like, along the way, you bring down the kingpins of all these different gangs, and then it's all of a sudden these, all these gangs against each other, plus the police. And I would be, I, like, I really dig the Saints Row storyline. I think that would make for a solid movie. And that's why I did, and that's why I tried to write a movie with Keith David in mind, reprising his role from the game. Oh, God, yes. I would love that. I mean, Saints Row, I wanted it to happen so bad, I tried to make it happen. I think I only got a few paragraphs in before realizing this is a terrible idea because there ain't no way that somebody's going to read a Saints Row script if I don't get the rights. But that's how passionate I was about it. And I remember asking the subreddit about screenwriting, about adapting stuff from like the public domain since I can't really adapt stuff that has, you know, copyright ownership. And a bunch of the responders were saying, hey, you know, if there's something you want to adapt, adapt it, just know you're not going to sell it. So, hey, if it gives you experience, maybe I'll go back to it. I mean, who knows with that? Because I would love to see a Saints Row movie. I think that would be a blast. You make it this, you make it like this perfect mix of action and comedy. And, like, it's a little bit serious at first, but as the series goes on, it gets wackier and wackier. Not, like, wacky in a cartoony sense, even though that's what the games do. But, like, oh, God, I would love... I just would love a Saints Row movie. Next up, Dark Souls. Haven't played the games. I did play through a bit of Bloodborne, I think. But I haven't played a lot of the Dark Souls. I've heard nothing but good things about the Dark Souls games. I've heard that they're hard. They're just hard as mahogany balls. But that it's a good game. Like it, it's it's hard in the old school sense of hard. Where like if you tried to play like the old school Mega Man stuff, I've tried to play Mega Man. It's impossible for me for for a lot of it. And Dark Souls is like that. That sort of it's a it's a perfect difficulty level that requires multiple gameplay for you to really get the hang of it and it's it's not it's infuriating when it when it when it happens when bad things happen to you in the game but it's not like 
hard in the same way that a lot of games are, where it's just like, why would anybody play this? It's impossible. For some it is, from what I hear, but I hear nothing but good things about Dark Souls, and I feel like that could be some good untapped potential for like a fantasy action movie, like a Lord of the Rings, or like what they're trying to do with Warcraft. So if they tried to do a Dark Souls game, I would like to see what they tried with that. To go along with that, a Diablo game. There's another game that I think is very dark and fantasy-oriented that I think would make for an interesting movie. I don't know about Diablo as much as Dark Souls. I've heard good things about Diablo too, and I've seen some gameplay of it. It's interesting to look at, but I don't know the storyline. I know it's about Satan and about like bringing Satan to life. Or something like I've, it's something to do with Satanism and magic and mysticism, and it might be an interesting movie. I think that would be you know it'd be something. It, I I'm I'm a sucker for fantasy movies. I mean I liked Seventh Son and Last Witch Hunter despite them being bad movies. I'm just a sucker for a good fantasy romp, so to speak. So I'm I would love to see what they tried to do. That's why I thought Shadow of the Colossus, Castlevania. You know, that's why I'm thinking of these things because I think that would make for good fan I'm a sucker for fantasy movies and I would like to see them work on film. In the opposite direction, we have the two shooters Doom with the caveat that it's done in the style of uh Hardcore Henry, you know, where it's all first person and you kind of Hear the soldier as he's fighting the legions of hell. And an 80s throwback movie with Duke Nukem. Like, you get a guy like The Rock. Or, you know, maybe like a... Oh, God, who would be the good one? The You get one of those pro wrestler types who's already got the muscles. And you give him a big 80s era blonde pompadour. And you have him say all these corny as hell one-liners and reference stuff like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Stallone and Seagal and Norris and all those old movies of the 80s and you basically make it a throwback. Like if you did it in the way that Black Dynamite did with black exploitation, you could have a super fun 80s throwback movie with Duke Nukem. And I, because that's what the games were. The games were corny as hell, little throwbacks to the movies from the eighties and the nineties that were coming, that were still coming out at the time. And there's still something there. Like you could, I could see a Duke Nukem being done, and you get one of those pro wrestlers. I, I don't know who the current team are, you know, but you get one of those guys, and you get him, you get somebody with a deep enough voice to really capture that sort of. You know, oh, I haven't played enough Duke Nukem to know the one-liners, but there is enough there to have be like a a throwback and a parody sort of movie. I I, I could see it working. I could see a movie working much better than Duke Nukem Forever, but pretty much anything could work better than Duke Nukem Forever. Another game I haven't played either, so I'm just judging just from what I've seen. The last couple I have are Metroid which kind of falls in the same line of Castlevania and Legend of Zelda and these great properties of games where you're the silent protagonist. And I remember when they gave Samus Aran a voice in Other M, I believe, one of the Wii games of Metroid, everybody, you know, was up in arms because they turned what they pictured to be a tough female protagonist into a simpering, whiny little you know, daddy's girl who had, you know, who 
who can't do anything without her superior's permission. And despite the fact that it's like her first year as a bounty hunter, I guess, or something, like I'm trying to think how you would do a Samus Aran movie. Like, how would you do Metroid? Especially, once again, especially since the only character on screen is Samus and she's silent. It's ga- in games, it doesn't matter because you didn't pay for dialogue in video games. But in movies, you have to have dialogue. So I don't know how you would do that. That's, you know, it's one of those things I would love to see what they do with the setting. It's just finding a way to give the silent protagonist dialogue that doesn't completely screw it up. After that, I have Altered Beast, which is, once again, another fantasy thing. I never played Altered Beast, really, for the Sega Genesis. I think I had it, and I tried playing it, and I never got past the first level, so I never really played it again. But it was an interesting concept, from what I remember, where you are a, you know, an ancient sword sandals sort of fighter, and you get this power-up where you turn into a, a monster. And you're all, you know, you're you're altered into a beast. And I think, depending on what the actual storyline of the of the game was, you could turn that into a movie where you turn into like this sort of nice mix of CG and um, I would like to see a nice mix of CG and practical. They do what like what Marvel's doing with the Hulk now, where. It is sort of this captured version of Mark Ruffalo, so you can tell it's him as the Hulk. Or like what um, Andy Serkis does with Gollum and with Caesar. So if you did something like that with this character, and once again, I don't know a lot about it. I don't remember a storyline. I just remember you turned into a monster. So I think doing that as a movie would be interesting. I mean, it would probably be along the same lines as an Underworld or a Last Witch Hunter or The Seventh Son, where it wouldn't be all that great, but it would be interesting. It would be something, you know? And I and once again, I'm a sucker for fantasy. And the last one I have is Half-Life, specifically with Brian Cranston. Once again, haven't played Half-Life. I just know it's a beloved game franchise. And if you got Half-Life, Brian Cranston as Gordon Freeman, it would be like almost... Because when you see Gordon Freeman on the cover, it almost looks like... Mike, it almost looks like Brian Cranston and Breaking and the Breaking Bad uh, posters and DVD cover arts. Like, I feel like he may be too old, so you might be needing a younger a younger guy. But that would be interesting. Like, I would love to see what they would do with Brian Cranston starring in a Half Life movie. But once again, silent and thankfully, unlike the other silent protagonists, at least Gordon Freeman is surrounded by talking characters. So there's that. So even if he doesn't talk, the other people talk, and then then they notice that he doesn't talk, and they you know they comment on it, kind of like it would be kind of corny, like with what Hardcore Henry did, where it's like your speech module doesn't work, ah, about whatever. But I you know I would love to see what Brian Cranston would do with the role too, because he's the kind of guy who would really get into it. So that's about it for me, and that about does it for this episode. So, if you're listening to the podcast, you're most likely listening to us on SoundCloud. I've moved from Podomatic to SoundCloud, and my new permanent home is on SoundCloud.com slash popcorn dash junkie. So, if you want to share the podcast, just direct people to that link or have them look up Popcorn Junkie on SoundCloud. 
And you can also do the same on the iTunes Store. I am certified on iTunes. All you have to do is go to the iTunes Store and look up Popcorn Junkie, and you'll see my orange mug chomping on popcorn. And if you really want to help the podcast out, you can leave a five-star rating and review. And if you do that, I'll read it on the, po- on the podcast. Unfortunately, the, the iTunes Store ranking system has it so that you the only way to get noticed is through high star ranking. So if you want to help this podcast get noticed, leave a five-star ranking and review on iTunes, and I will read the review on the podcast. The other way you can support the podcast is through Patreon. I have a Patreon profile, and if you want to donate per month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash popcornjunkie, and you can leave any donation amount per month. Right now, the only goal of my Patreon is to get a second podcast going. And if you can help me do that, either by donating whatever amount you can per month or sharing the Patreon to somebody who can donate, you'll be really helping a guy out. Uh, if you want to keep up with the podcast, all you have to do is go to facebook.com slash popcornjunkie and you can find me there. I post early blurbs of what I see after I see them and so you can get my thoughts going out of a movie. And you also get updates on updates on the podcast and on whatever else is going on i announced my uh, i announced my move to soundcloud on there so if you want to keep up with the podcast go to facebook.com slash popcorn junkie or go to twitter.com at corn junkie pod and all the stuff from facebook is transferred over to twitter so that's facebook.com slash popcorn junkie and on twitter.com at corn junkie pod or if you have any other feedback for the podcast send it to popcorn junkie podcast at gmail.com. You can leave me comments, questions, requests, any sort of feedback you want, whatever you want to tell me, just send it to Popcorn Junkie Podcast at gmail.com. That about does it for this episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and hopefully at some point we'll finally get that really great movie based on a video game. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by The M on SoundCloud.com for more of his work. Artwork for Popcorn Junkie is provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Just go see The Jungle Book. It's way better. Thank you. And may God have mercy on our souls. <coughs> 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 <coughs>